Hello and welcome. I'm Jane Chadwick. I'm a scientist and a long-term educator. I'm Shane Bergen. I'm a physicist and I work at the School of Education in University College Dublin. And this is 101, a show about the ways we learn. Yeah, and in this in this episode, we're actually listening to a kind of flipped version of what you would normally think of when you're thinking of a teacher and a learner. We're listening to uh, Neve Scanlon. Uh, she's the EU Digital Girl of the Year. She's a teenager, a really impressive young person, who is teaching uh, the director of Science Gallery Dublin and my boss, uh, Lynn Scarif, How to Code. As well as that, we'll have Noah Finkelstein, who's a physics professor from the University at Colorado, nestled in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains at Boulder. Ooh, very, really put us in the, in the place there, Shane. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And to try and do the same, um, no, uh, Neve and, and Lynn were, met each other and, and kind of worked through this coding lesson at Science Gallery's Make Shop. Uh, Make Shop, for those of you who don't know it. It's nestled on the Diamond Dreary Pier Street in <laughs> <Yeah>. Dublin. <laughs> don't run it. Pier Street's okay. Um, it's it's located in a, in a retail space um, just on the corner of Trinity College Dublin. And it's a place where you, know, you can come to buy things, but you can also come and learn all sorts of useful skills like coding. My name is Lynn Scarf and I am Director of Science Gallery Dublin. When I started in Science Gallery 10 years ago, my role at that time was the Education and Outreach Manager. And the Arduino was just arriving at that point and I was kind of playing around with it a little bit. And then in the way that things happen, the more and more I've been in the organisation, the less I get to do that kind of work and the, and the more I do kind of overview stuff. So I'm really intrigued by it. And it's something that I never got to experience in school. I don't think in a linear way, which is my biggest problem. I'm not naturally mathematically inclined and I lack patience. Sorry, Neve, just be prepared. I like it. a good example is everybody in my family plays a musical instrument and I'm not very good at doing things that I'm not good at almost straight away. It's a it's a an admission of my own learning style. So I'm very I'm not very good at doing things where you have to kind of increment slowly through lots of bits. I like to be really good at something straight away. So that's something that I kind of struggle with. My name is Neve Scanlon and I'm 14 years old. Oh, my name is Lynn Scarf and I'm 39. Well, I started learning how to code in Coder Dojo when I was nine years old and Coder Dojo are free computer programming classes for young people. So I went there on my first day and I didn't know anything about coding. I mean, I used apps and games and websites, but I never knew what went on behind the scenes and I'd never thought about it in much detail. So when I went in and I saw that people my age and people like me were able to make things that I was using every day, I found it really cool and I wanted to be a part of it. So there's this thing online called the Hour of Code and it's basically where you spend around an hour just learning how to use basic drag and drop coding. So for people who want to begin learning how to code, it's really good because each block that you drag onto the screen represents a line or a part of a line of code and it's a really good visual way to sort of start people off in learning how to program. On the website you can choose whatever one you want, so is there any here? There's like are they Minecraft, are they graded? Uh, no. Oh, okay. So it's not like one is more difficult, or we no. should start with like. Um, so I can just choose by what yeah, looks kind like of interesting. Frozen or. Uh, well, my four-year-old daughter loves Frozen, so could we do that one and then <laughs> yeah, I can sure. show her that 
her mother has made something cool <laughs> out of. Uh... <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah. When I was 10 and I had been uh, learning to code for a year, I started mentoring other young people in Coder Dojo, which was actually a really good way for me to learn because if other young people had a problem, I would have to sort of look into it and see, okay, how can I help this person solve their problem? And that would be me learning something new as well. I think it's really important because it helps with your problem solving skills and it's sort of a different way to look at things and think about things. And I find it really fun that when you write a line of code, straight away something appears on the screen and that's really amazing to just see that happen. So there's a little video at the start. So what grade are you in? Second. 10th grade? First grade. I was in 8th grade when I learned to program. Let's use I got code to join Anna and Elsa as they explore the magic and beauty of ice. You will create snowflakes and patterns as you ice skate and make a winter wonderland that you can then share with your friends. In the next hour... So that just is a quick like overview of what's going to be happening. Okay. So here you have to help Elsa create a single line of code by just dragging blocks across onto the workspace. Traditional programming is usually in text, but we'll use Blockly, which uses visual blocks that you can drag and drop to write programs. This is how even university students learn the basics. You hit run mm -hmm. to just start the program and see what's going to happen on the screen here. A program is a set of instructions that tells the computer what to do. Let's build a code for a program that will help Elsa create a simple line. We will use this later to create more complex patterns. So on the screen you have an image of Elsa at the start and now it's Anne at the moment and you're trying to make them skate across the screen in so there'll be either a line or a square that you have to make them skate along and using the different blocks you have to change the amount of degrees or the amount of pixels and you have to drag it across and connect it to other blocks so you connect it to a block that says when run which means that when you run the program you want blank to happen or you want this to happen. So you have to drag blocks across and connect it to this when run block to make things happen. So you could say when run move forward 100 pixels and then it gets more complicated and you have things like repeat blocks that mean you have to figure out how many times you want a few lines of code to be repeated uh, so that you can get Anna to go around three blocks and you have to change different bits in the code to try to figure that out. So you can drag just something and connect it to that block there if you want to try. Okay. Whichever block you want. So I could start, instead of like just move forward, I could start with like turn left and turn yeah. right. That's the contrary bit of me need. <laughs> well, you can test different things out if you want. So if I say turn right by 45 degrees. Yeah, and then you just hit run and see what that looks like on the screen. So that not quite, you have to use a block you aren't using yet. It's interesting how if you use computers at all when it's built like this, it's kind of intuitive in that sort of like, oh, I think probably if I click this and dragged it yeah. over here. Complex patterns. Your screen is split into three main parts. On the left-hand side, there's a screen where I can see what I'm making Elsa do. And then beside that, there's blocks of, I guess like, well, it's code, but it's written in language that you know, so move forward by a number of pixels. And then I'm effectively building up the rules of what she'll do, I guess. Okay. 
So now you've completed the first puzzle and you're going to move on to the next step. So I hear it hit continue, I guess? Yeah. So now let's see if we can create two lines that are at a 90 degree angle to each other. You will need to use the turn block. What do you use when you're doing coding? Do you use lots of different kinds of like... Yeah, so I'd use like HTML and CSS and JavaScript and those are all sort of the code that you'd write out. I wouldn't be using the blocks anymore because yeah. that's more for sort of getting started and more for like the visual side to see what's actually yeah. happening. Whereas now I'd be writing lines of code and then refreshing it on a web page or on an app or Yeah, and when you see things, do you see them in, in terms of that kind of code? Do you see like, like if you were looking at this, do you see it in terms of the kind of code that you use? Yeah, yeah. As opposed to this. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of Flash. interesting. And then we go run. So see, now you have returning, but you want to get her all the way down here. Oh, crap. <laughs> so, yeah, so then we have to make her move forward. It's just to like move forward and then you have in brackets 100, so that's 100 pixels. And then you have turn right and then you have in brackets 90, so that's for the 90 degrees. And then it sort of just repeats itself because you're going in a square. So yeah. So the brackets is that kind of standard language and code that yeah. it means? So then you put like the number inside of that. Okay, so uh, I have to make her, it seems like we're halfway to make, let's put four lines together to create a square. So when you hit run, it's going to move forward by 100 pixels. Then you're going to turn right 90 degrees. So even when you were learning code, how long did it take you to move from kind of doing these sort of block coding to doing the different? So actually, when I started in Coder Dojo, they didn't use this sort of block coding at all. Okay. And so I started with like writing out the lines of code. But now I see when more younger people come in, uh, like nowadays, they they're always using this block coding. I think it takes them sort of like a little bit of getting used to it. it really depends if they're a lot younger then they'll probably stay in the block coding for a little while because they like seeing the things move around the screen the second they drag a block yeah, across yeah but then if they're older they'll probably want to advance more so it really depends on the age it could be like a few months or a year or something yeah okay that's interesting i need her to turn right again and then i need her to move forward again so it's interesting with this one that you have to think it out and you have to go through each step to figure yeah. out what, what, where you're turning and if you're moving. So I suppose for me this ap appeals to the visual part of my my brain because I didn't really enjoy maths at school. So and I so I, I kind of think, oh god, no, that's going to be hard. You just wrote five lines of code. I did. Can I look at so, it? And I think this appeals to the visual part. So I can yeah. see how this would be a really nice in for people who are maybe not so confident in maths. And then from that, I guess, then you would kind of build your confidence. Yeah, it's a really good way because you're like seeing what's happening as you do it. I yeah, it's just really it good appeals to, to the non-patient bit of me that we discussed <laughs> earlier on, for sure. I think my daughter would be very proud. I'm gonna actually bring this home and show her. Look what I did, I made out of do skating. Um, no, what I've learned so far is a little bit how to approach a problem in terms of coding, so breaking it up into different parts and I'm making sure that I've got each of the components doing what I want them to do as part of a whole. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Actually, the way that I worked out the problem was thinking about it, thinking about what I wanted her to do in a physical world and then thinking about what, what that was in the code. And actually, so yeah, so putting those two pieces together 
unfortunate things happen as you kind of grow up and your life becomes really time managed and you don't have much time to do kind of enjoyable things like this but actually what I could see myself doing is doing this with my daughter and and actually learning with her which I think would be a really nice experience. So Neve, I have a four-year-old daughter but what's the youngest person that you've seen in say learning? So in Kodo Dojo usually the age is sort of you have to be seven or over. Yeah. But with things like online, it can really be anybody. Like these Arab codes are really good. So with things like Arab code and different websites online where you can learn to code, you can be whatever age. Yeah, it's just you can yeah. be 39, for example. <laughs> <laughs> for me, the tricky thing about maths was always that I couldn't place it in a real-world context. You know, it always seemed incredibly abstract to me. Do you find that coding helps you? With, I mean, it must do with maths in school, does yeah, it? Yeah, so yeah, even just thinking in terms of angles and different things like that, and even when I'm sort of trying to figure out with like pixels, when I'm coding something on a screen, I'm saying, okay, so how big do I want this to be? Like, I don't want to take the full screen, so I have to say it's going to be like, do I want Elsa to move 100 pixels or do I want her to move 1,000 pixels? And like yeah. thinking that sort of context. So it really does help me with maths and help me think think in a different way about that. About that. And so when you're doing things now, so I mean, it sounds like the projects you're doing are like way beyond this, but when you're doing things now, are you, what are you, what are you doing? Are you making apps? Are you? Yeah, so I really like making apps that can help people. I think I sort of, my favorite thing out of making like websites, games, it's probably making apps. I think okay. that's my favorite thing because I'd use that like on a daily basis, like, things like Dublin Bus yeah, or yeah, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Snapchat, Instagram, yeah. things like that. So I think I find I sort of relate to when I'm making apps. Because you sort of see, yeah, I, could, I get that, that you're making something that's useful to yeah. people that they can use every day. Yeah, and I can see how people would use it. Mm. So is there any particular apps that you've made that you're, that you're especially proud of? Well, I made an app for electric cars and it's called Recharge My E-Car and it's for the drivers of electric cars to find all the charging points in Ireland and whether they're currently in use or not. So because lots of people are buying electric cars now and mm -hmm. they're starting to come in more, I think people would be able to use this to find the nearest charging point and whether it's free for them to use. That sounds incredibly useful. <laughs> wow. I'm very impressed, Neve. <laughs> that, that's what's next for me once I get Elsa doing this cross thing. Now, I'm going to come up with some amazing app and then get Neve to code it for me. No, no, I'll do it myself. You, you kind of have to think through every single step when you're doing code and not as would be my tendency, sort of rush to the end. So like breaking it down so that you make sure that, that every bit happens. And I also learned that it's incredibly exciting when you get it right and when you get it wrong. So. I really enjoy seeing people sort of solve a problem because I think that's the most interesting when people come across a problem that they found in the code and they have to think it through step by step and figure out where exactly they went wrong. Like they might have everything right except for one tiny thing. And it's really interesting to see people test out different ways to try to figure out this problem. Uh, that's what I find most interesting. So Lynn jumps in immediately talking about mindset and she says, I'm not a tech person. I don't know how many times she said it in the podcast mm. uh, there, but uh, she says it a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's it's a trap that we, we all fall into, right? Um, you know, if we find something hard or difficult, um, we want to have a reason for that. Um, and a very good reason to reach for is that this just isn't for me. Um, and it's what's admirable about this here is that Lynn is addressing that in trying to, to learn to code, which is, is really cool. Um, but 
actually, it's not that Lynn isn't good at it. She might find it difficult, but as she kind of progresses through the through the lesson, you can actually hear her becoming more and more confident. And then there's no more talk of being a tech person or not being a tech person at the end. She's learned a bit to, uh, how to code and she's going to continue. She has intentions to continue on doing that with her daughter. And really that kind of taps into this idea of whether you're you have a fixed kind of ability to do something or whether you can actually grow and develop. And it's really tied into kind of education theory and, and kind of how we learn. Yeah, it's well grounded in education theory that there is such a thing as a growth mindset. So Mm. that means with a good teacher and the right pedagogy, as in the right style of how to learn, then you can you can achieve. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is super important because we know all the time that a lot of young women, for instance, wouldn't identify as being mathematically able Mm -hmm. um, or indeed young guys who are probably uh, equally as able as as their female counterparts think they're good at maths. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, then they do perform better, Mm -hmm. right, Um, because they have this mindset of, well, I'm good at it. Mm-hmm. And so if I failed uh, a test, well, you know, I'll get a B or an A in the next one. Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody who might have a fixed mindset, be it something that they have developed themselves or is like externally put upon put them. Upon them. Yeah. 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 Then they have this fixed mindset of, well, that's just not something I'm good at. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. and so using uh, the idea of mindset and teaching is very, very powerful because it can challenge those preconceptions. I think something that's really, uh, really jumped out at me um, in listening to this piece is is how Neve talks about what she's doing when she's coding. Um, she talks about it as a really organic process that she's, you know, she's working on something and then she's trying it out and then it doesn't work. And then she's going back and she's trying to identify the source of the problem. And then she's working that and tweaking it and tweaking it and tweaking it. And she's approaching it from a point of view where she doesn't have any sort of end you know, she might know where she wants to go with it, but she's not expecting it to get there first time. Yeah, Lynn has this sort of step-by-step approach, right, where she thinks of unless I can go from A to B to C to D, that I'm I'm, I'm going to flounder. Mm-hmm. Where, and it's actually quite interesting because Neve keeps just ignoring those comments and moving straight to how do I solve this problem? Or, you know, uh, the sort of, messiness of learning uh, mm-hmm. approach, right, which is kind of a scattergun approach and just going to try loads of things and one of them will work. Yeah, right? absolutely. And you hear Lynn doing that then when she's got her, I think it's an Elsa figure. If I can, they're talking about Frozen a lot. So <laughs> I think, she, you know, she's got it, her kind of walking into a corner and not able to get it out of the loop. And then she goes through that problem solving process and she sees that that that's the key to this to this way of learn to this program and how how she has to learn it. Um, that it's not that she needs to have any sort of um, recipe book to kind of follow to start off with. Yeah, and I think when Neve describes how she started learning to code, mm-hmm. you could tell that her doing it as part of a community was super important. Mm-hmm. So she learned in a group of students, and they were all working together. They were all intrinsically motivated by it. They all like had a big interest in it, mm-hmm. and they were willing to not just share that. Uh, common experience like that share the buzz mm-hmm. but they're also willing to learn from each other and to teach each other so they had what we call a community of practice my name is noah finkelstein i'm a professor in the department of physics at the university of colorado boulder my research focuses on learning specifically the area of physics education research and my emphasis within this arena is looking at the contextual and cultural nature of student learning so a community contributes to learning, uh, perhaps essentially, that's the only way we learn, which is to argue that learning itself is a social enterprise. I don't deny that people can learn on their own by interacting with a book, but inherently I argue that that is in fact social, that we are engaging with a collaborative process with other people, if only remotely, with the authors of the book, 
or those people who designed the particular coding mechanisms or lessons for people to interact with. But inherently, at least for higher order cognitive functioning, such as computer coding, learning is a social enterprise where that process is the internalization of social norms, practices, and then specific tools uh, that we focus on that are shaped by the practices and then the cultural norms within that. This comes from a, a sociocultural perspective of a Vygotskyan perspective. Um, perhaps my favorite reference uh, to this arena is Vygotsky's uh, Mind and Society, um, translated into the English in 1978 from early 20th century work, where he says that uh, every function uh, in a child, or I would argue human's cultural development appears twice, first on the social level and later on at the individual level. First between people, referred to as inner psychological, and then inside the child, intra-psychological. This applies equally to voluntary attention, to logical memory, and to the formation of concepts. All the higher functions originate as actual relationships between individuals. I think this captures the idea of social learning so marvelously in the sense that what we then learn and are enabled to do as individuals starts out from a social enterprise. This has to do with both the process by which we learn through interactions with other humans and this, there's a notion of this so-called zone of proximal development, or what other people have referred to sort of more colloquially perhaps as scaffolding. What is it that a learner might be able to do in collaboration with often a near peer, but might be any other member who can engage and literally extend the developmental capacity of individuals so that they're able to do something in collaborative enterprise that ultimately then is internalized and that is a sign of what the individual might be accomplishing in the future. Uh, in, in solo practice. That's, I think, critical. I would also emphasize here as a second point to this, that the stuff that people uh, are learning, the, the materials, and whether that's coding practices or the nature of how to uh, speak a language, those elements themselves are also collectively defined. So a community uh, has created and constructed and ultimately validated the worth of the subject of our learning so that I in physics am grateful for uh, hundreds of years of formal development of the scientific enterprise and method itself and try to socialize people into those cultural systems that have been created by other people. That comes with a tremendous benefit so that we're able to advance our society and include people productively. We have to be a little bit careful with this at the same time, which is it, it comes with historic and cultural uh, affordances and predispositions towards action, which is certain people have been uh, more dominantly included and other people less dominantly included in these historic traditions. So as we were looking to include more people, say in the United States, there's a very big push to try and include more women in the coding and uh, computer computational sciences enterprises here. And we have to recognize that this is a field that has um, uh, been formalized and really advanced most substantially by men in this noting actually a fabulous historic um, uh, piece here in the United States that the original coders were in fact women. Uh, sorry, not, well, they were, uh, coders were also women, but the original computers were women. This was the label that was used for women who were engaged in uh, uh, computing for uh, all kinds of military and space exercises. The, the movie Hidden Figures does a marvelous job at externalizing this. So noting that these are historic and culturally bound fields, 
we have both the opportunity to draw from uh, wealth and history and also recognize its limitations as we seek to expand beyond that. So the summarizing points that I would make around this idea that um, uh, ultimately learning is uh, community enabled or that community establishes the mechanism uh, for learning is, is twofold. One is that the process of learning itself is social and contingent upon the social enterprise and environments in which people are bound. And two, the materials that we are learning, the subject or object of our learning is itself socially and community constructed. So what Noah's saying there is that learning is ultimately a very, very social process and that learning as a group is essential to learning. Um, he describes the idea of whether that might be with you in a book or with you and others. And that's what Neve's doing in, in this process here. She talks about being in a coder dojo where she's learning with lots of other people like herself. And this idea of them not just being able to help each other, but also being able to put into practice what they learn so that I'm sure they do stuff and she mm -hmm. has a sense of her coding being really useful and did you hear at times when Lynn like maybe it's because they were talking about Frozen and I don't know <laughs> Lynn if she's into that or not but uh, like I imagine she isn't into Frozen but mm, uh, like so she was at times trying to she was struggling to contextualise it right mm -hmm. so like why am I bothering to move the Elsa character left and right mm. whereas maybe for somebody of Neve's age or younger that might seem very interesting mm. Yeah and I think as well Neve spoke about what she likes to use her 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 skills for. Um, you know, she was talking about how she likes to to build apps because she wants them also not only to be useful for herself but useful useful for other people. She can see a real utility um, to these skills that she's acquiring in this wonderful um, community of practice. Um, and you can Lynn kind of finds her own intrinsic motivation as well in that she's listening and and kind of working through it. And when she gets this po point of achievement, she's going to go back and transfer that knowledge to her daughter. Yeah, and who, she, who I guess might be more interested in Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> but like from an education point of view, this idea of learning as a group is is really important in education. And it's something that we do very naturally so that we when we form an idea about how something works, we just check it with people who we trust. So and that can be something very highfalutin, like, you know, my idea of how a volcano works, or it could just be something very, very basic, a very everyday thing. You check it with a friend or you check it with a peer. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about having that community to, to kind of interact with, you know, and that um, that's a, a concept of, of like social capital or in, in, in science education spheres, it's called science capital. And it's about having people to talk to um, and, and kind of get get information from and share information with and check information with. And that's huge in, in not only... Um, kind of being able to to learn this information, but also self-identifying as somebody who is that kind of way. So Neve clearly identifies as a coder um, and clearly identifies as somebody who who's in that world and is valuable in that world. Um, and that is huge to being able to, to progress as well, yeah. to actually have that self-identification. And I'm sure she's a mentor and is a role model for other young people like her because people see Neve and go, I could be like Neve mm -hmm. or Neve might help me. And you're completely right to talk about identity because I, I know research has shown that if you form a sense of identity around anything you're interested in at a young age, that sustains you through mm -hmm. like the years of college or when you're working hard on something because you identify as mm -hmm. a physicist or a volcanologist. And so you're, you're willing to go through 
a lot of like uh, hard work because yeah. you believe you are that person. Absolutely. And hard work and in some cases adversity, you yeah. know, um, especially for um, a young woman in, in a field that's predominantly viewed as, as, as being male. So, um, so I'm you know, coding has this bad reputation or uh, tech in general as an industry has a bad reputation as being kind of a little bit hostile to to females. Um, so having this strong identity and sense of self in that community is only going to help in kind of progressing a lifespan in it. Another thing that's a little bit different about this episode is the fact that Neve is younger than Lynn. So the, the teacher is younger than the learner. And I guess that's not that usual, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, if you're thinking about an expert uh, in something, often, you know, the time that it takes to become an expert in a field, by definition, you're going to be a little bit older. Um, And I think it's really interesting because you might expect that in this situation, a younger person teaching somebody who's older than them, that there could be a danger of the the student in this case kind of, you know, being, okay, okay, you're younger than me, whatever. But you can really hear that Lynn is valuing and really listening to what Neve's saying because she, she's she's aware of the fact that that Neve has a, an amazing expertise in this area. And you can hear Neve is obviously very used to working with maybe people who are older than her too and that she's very giving, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's like you think of the many scenarios around Ireland or indeed around the world where parents would come in and ask their children to help them with some tech issue <laughs> yeah. and instead of explaining what they're talking about, they're like, oh, just give it to me and I'll fix it, right? <laughs> yeah, they get, they get frustrated. Yeah, so that's it from us. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find us on lots of places online if you want to find out more about us. We are 101 The Podcast on social media. We're also at 101thepodcast.com and you can find us on podcast apps by searching for 101 The Ways We Learn. And we'd also like to ask you for a little favour. If you've enjoyed the show, and we hope that you have, um, it'd be brilliant if you could rate us on iTunes. Um, five star rating, please. And if you could... Also share what you've listened to with your friends and family. Uh, Maybe a a young person near you. Or an older person. Or an older person. Let's not be ageist. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, um, we'd really appreciate it. It helps people find out about us. Thank you. And I've been Jane Chadwick and Shane's been Shane Bergen. And 101 is produced by Bureau and is supported by Science Foundation Ireland. Hi, I'm Margie McCarthy. I'm the Head of Education and Public Engagement with Science Foundation Ireland. And we're really happy to support 101 because there's a science behind everything and there's a science behind learning as well.